So we have any boxing fans in the house today? Any UFC fans? How about just wrestling fans uh, out there? Ra- rest, there's wrestling and there is wrestling. Uh, the wrestling is the fake stuff. I got a question for you. This is going to get a little personal, but you're going to share it with your neighbor, all right? Maybe this is a confession even, all right? Have you ever been in a fight before? Have you ever been in a fight before? Share your fight story with your neighbor now. All right. Now, I have to admit, uh, well, a couple of things, but have you ever seen the movie uh, The Christmas Story, the one that comes on every year, The Leg Lamp? My favorite part of that movie is when the bully, do you remember his name? It's not Scott, it's Scut. All right, Scut Farkas has been picking on little Ralphie the whole movie, and something inside of him boils up. Do you remember that scene? And he just goes after this guy, and it just, it's like, it was kind of like a girl fight. Uh, it was just a lot of this happening, and then words start coming out of his mouth. You know that scene. But it's just this, he's not going to take it anymore kind of moments, all right? Now, I'm not promoting kids fighting kind of things. In fact, a little, here's my confession. I have never been in a fist fight in my entire, I haven't even been in one of these fights in my entire life before. I guess I'm just more of a, a lover than a fighter, uh, as Ralphie would say. Uh, not Ralphie, but uh, Alfalfa from, uh, from the, the kids movie. What movie was that? Thank you, the little rascals, you're with me. Now, as you're looking at this series, we're jumping in the series Fight for the month of February. Maybe you're thinking, I don't really just, this Jesus and fighting that, and, and God, that just really doesn't kind of compute. You know, I, you know, I really think of Jesus sometimes. I think of like the flowing hair that's like always wind in it, and he's just kind of a, a gentle guy, and you know, he's the shepherd with the sheep. The sheep are really gentle, and, but I, I don't know if that's the most accurate picture of Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. I mean, think about like carpenter arms and, and how he was just commanding presence. In fact, there are moments, there are some tension-filled moments where Jesus, he doesn't back down. And the thing I like about our Lord is he's a combo uh, artist. He's both grace and truth. He is full of love and he is full of justice. He is ready to turn another, uh, the other cheek, but he's willing to stand up versus evil. He is the greatest servant the world has ever known, and he's also the greatest warrior. Listen to this description in Revelation, and and, and maybe this will change your mind about just who Jesus is and what he looks like. Then I saw heaven open up. This is talking about the end. I saw heaven open up, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe, his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right? We're talking about some presence here. We're talking about a warrior. In fact, it talked about heaven's armies. 
Now, sometimes I think people think angels, and this is the first image that kind of comes to mind, okay? And who doesn't like a good precious moment or an, an Ann Geddes picture of a naked baby and uh, just so cute and, and, and fluffy? But I kind of think that angels look a little bit more like this. Now, this is the best thing I could come up with on Google, okay? I, I don't know what an angel looks like, but I know every time an angel showed up, there was not, ah, there was fear and trembling. Heaven's armies are present. In fact, this battle language, this fight language is present throughout Scripture. Exodus 15, I'm going to do these quickly. Two through three. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me a victory. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father is God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a what? A warrior. Yahweh is his name. Isaiah 42, 13. The Lord will march forth like a mighty hero. He will come out like a, a what? A warrior full of fury. He will shout his battle cry and he will crush all his enemies. 1 Timothy 6.12 is Paul's word to us. He tells us to do what? Fight the good fight of faith. Now, as we get into this series, you know, if, I, if we went on the street, I think we just asked the average person that we, we came across and said, when you think of Christians, what do you think of? And I think immediately they would start naming that things that Christians are against, things that Christians fight against. And, and, and what I've kind of processed in the last few weeks is, you know what, I think I want to be known more for what I am for than what I'm against. I want us to be known for what we're fighting for than what we're fighting against. In fact, that's the question of the whole series. And it's on the front of your worship folder. What are you fighting for? What are the things that are so important in your life that you are fighting for, that when you get to the end of your days on earth, that someone will be able to look at you and say, that person was for this. I want you to just process, I want you to to simmer in your mind, and I want you to think about that. But before we get there, before we start talking about what we're for, I want us to really understand what we're really, really, really fighting against, or maybe who we're really fighting against. I don't know if you know that there's a game tonight uh, that people will be watching. Uh, they call it the Super Bowl. It is, uh, everyone knows who's playing, right? The ladies? The Broncos from Denver and the uh, Panthers from Carolina. All right, who's pulling for the Broncos? Broncos? Who's pulling for the Panthers? Wow, the Superman. I saw what you did there. That was good. Uh, who's pulling for... A close game and great food and really funny commercials. Woo-hoo! It's funny. Uh, commercials, we hate commercials all through the year. Okay, we're like, oh, a commercial is on. It's terrible. But then today of all days, like, oh, commercials. My favorite Super Bowl commercial of all time is uh, there probably, there's been a lot of good ones, and maybe you can think of your favorite one, but this is, this is my favorite one. I love that the, the little turnaround is what makes that. It's great. It's great. I don't know who will have the best commercial tonight, but that's my favorite. Maybe it's because there's just something about this Star Wars thing. Have you noticed that a few people have watched that movie recently? A few, like, seen billions of people, I guess. Everyone, has, has everyone seen the new Star Wars movie? Have you seen a Star Wars movie? Okay. 
There is something that we're drawn to about these movies. And I think it just, I think we like the characters and the stories are good and all those things. And they're great, but there's this basic storyline. It's good versus evil. It's the force, the light side of the force and then the dark side. And there's this, this battle that happens. And I think we can all relate to that to a certain degree. We see it. We see evil and good in the world. We even feel that inside of us, maybe. And, of course, there's this character that's in the movies, and the kid played him. Uh, it's Darth Vader, okay? Darth Vader is just always trying to draw Luke into the dark side. And it's just come over, and it's just pulling. And it's this personification of, of evil and, and darkness, and I think God gives us, this is a, maybe a pretty good metaphor for us to stay with for a second here. If you think about Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 13, it says this. A final word, be strong in the Lord. This is more battle language. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Do I believe that there is a devil? Absolutely, I think there's a devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against other people, flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So here is this Satan, who I believe is real. Scripture tells us in various places that he is, that he once was an angel that, that sinned and was a fallen angel. And he is on earth getting revenge, pulling people his direction toward maybe the dark side, if you want to call it today. And he says this in Peter, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a lion, a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Now, is he dressed in a dark outfit and in a helmet? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think he is much uh, more deceptive than that. And I don't think it's as, as obvious. He's very cunning, and he is a great opponent, and he is trying to defeat you. He is trying to bring you down. He's trying to bring your family down. He's trying to destroy your heart, your relationship with God. He's trying to rip that apart, and he will do whatever it takes to do that. There is a, a book that's a few years old now, but the author C.S. Lewis, it's a, it's a fiction story, but you feel like you're reading it and it, it feels very real. It's this story between two, this back and forth uh, correspondence between two demons. And it's called the Screw Tape Letters. And so if that kind of thing interests you, I just encourage you to go pick that up, the Screw Tape Letters. And it says this, he's talking one demon to another. It doesn't matter how small the sins are. This is talking about one demon trying to influence the life of a, of a human, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without sign 
post. It's this pulling toward the dark side. And why the pulling? Misery loves company. Let me tell you, the enemy, Satan, and the darkness, demons, and others, they are, their destiny is already decided. There is an eternal place for them, and they are trying to pull anyone they possibly can with them. And they'll use any tactic that they possibly can. And something that we have to recognize this, this is a this is physical, but it's mostly, it's a spiritual battle that's taking place. There is a story that's in Exodus chapter 17, and it really kind of gives us a picture of this physical and the supernatural coming together. Israel has just come out of Egypt, and they've been in bondage, they've been in slavery. And that's really what it's all about, Israel and Egypt being just kind of in slavery to, to this, this people, this this Pharaoh that's ruling over them and this darkness that's ruling over them. And, and God frees them supernaturally, if you remember the plagues. And they're out in the desert. They're going toward God's promised land. And then suddenly this army shows up, this people that want to destroy them, the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are there. And, and Moses sends Joshua down to fight the Amalekites. Kites, and they, he gets up on top of this mountain. And this amazing scene, and, and there's actually a picture that I, I kind of found, an artistic picture of what's happening. Moses on top of the mountain. And he lifts his arms up. And as he lifts his arms up to heaven, to the Lord, something happens. The victory begins to, to happen for Israel. God's people win. They're winning the battle. But when his arms go down, what happens? They begin to lose. They begin to lose, and suddenly Moses picks up on this supernatural, almost unexplainable thing. When the, the staff of God, when the hands are pointed up to heaven, the, the battle is being won, but when the arms drop, suddenly they're losing. And so they pick up Aaron and this guy named Hur are there, and they actually go and they, they put him on a rock, and when his arms, they just get so tired. Can you imagine just holding your arms up for a long time? They are holding up his arms for him so that victory can happen, that victory will be won. So what is this? This is a supernatural moment. This, this is spiritual, but it's also physical at the same time. And we have to fight in this spiritual war, not with the weapons that we would fight in a war here, a battle here. We have to fight with something else. We have to fight with spiritual mighty weapons. Think about this. Ephesians 6 says this, pray in the spirit. This is the back end of the the, the armor of God uh, passage. And it says, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in all your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. So what, do, what is he saying as one of our weapons? It's prayer. It's lifting up our voices and connecting to God and to the power that's not only within us, but in, the, in heaven as well. And prayer is so powerful. Remember, when Jesus was starting his ministry, he's in the desert, and he's getting ready to start and kick off everything. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And what is he doing? He's fasting and he's praying. Coincidentally, this Wednesday is called Ash Wednesday, and it's when we enter the season of Lent. And in this season, right before Easter, it's all about connecting to God and really remembering that time for Jesus where he's fasting and praying. And so it's a call to us to remember the cross, to think about what's coming up, not just to let Easter surprise us, but to fully be engaged in what's happening before we get there, to pray, to focus on prayer, and focus on the power that comes in that and through fasting. And that's what Jesus did. So what happens when he encountered the battle with Satan? He was ready. 
He was ready and he was prepared. And so he had prayer and he had the word of God. And those were his two weapons, that he was ready to fight the enemy. Prayer and the word of God. When he talks to his disciples before the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that conversation? He says, you guys stay here. The temptation is near. Watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you'll be ready for the battle that is coming. So it's a phrase that I, I found that I, and I love it. It's by author Kevin Myers. He says this, life's battle is physical and spiritual. I have to fight and pray. As I pray, the supernatural invades the natural. This is how I conquer. So let's, let's try to just say this in your, just on, on your lips and in your head as, as I'm saying it out loud. Life's battle is physical and it is spiritual. I have to fight and pray. And as I pray, the supernatural invades the natural. This is how I conquer. Now, to help you out, I know that this is, to be honest, prayer is not something that's in the routine of a lot of, uh, of Christians. One, just one help for you this week. There's a, an app that I found. It's called Echo, okay? Echo, there you go, E-C-H-O, Echo. And you can download it for free. And on there, you can begin to set up prayer lists, things that you're praying for in your personal life, people that you're praying for, it actually gives you reminders. I get reminders to the day now of don't forget to pray for this. Don't forget to pray for this person. Have you ever said to someone, I am going to pray for you, and you mean it with all your heart, and then afterwards you totally forget? Can we just say, hey, we've all done that before. It's okay, all right? But this will help us because we're not just want to give a lip service. We want to help people in the battles of their life. So echo is a, is, a, is a thing for you to, to take a look at. Now, what are we fighting for? We, we talked a little bit about what we were fighting against and what we're really fighting against, this darkness and this evil in this world that are, is pulling people. Now, I want you to find this chapter in your Bible. It is, I found this chapter this week. It is like the manliest man chapter in the entire Bible, okay? 2 Samuel 23. Find it if you have it on your phone, your Bible. It is Amazing. In fact, I think it's like Chuck Norris, manly man approved. Okay, and so to get us in this, like how, like uh, kind of, you know, it is. I've got some Chuck Norris facts for us. Okay, so you, you, have you heard about Chuck Norris facts? Okay, most. All right, Chuck Norris fact uh, number one is is, is this one. Uh, once Chuck Norris ordered a, a Big Mac at Brewer King, and he actually got it. Okay, are you, did you you you're with me on that? All right. All right. Next one. Uh, Chuck Norris will never have a heart attack. His heart isn't foolish enough to attack him. All right. You're catching up now. Uh, this would be Chuck Norris on uh, 290. Uh... All right. How about this one? Chuck Norris doesn't blow out his candles. They extinguish themselves out of fear. Chuck Norris can cut through a. Chuck Norris can cut through a hot knife with butter. Boom, boom, boom. And then the last one. When the boogeyman goes to bed at night, he checks for Chuck Norris under his bed. There you go. So it's a very uh, manly chapter, okay? It's a good one. Uh, it's all about uh, King David and his mighty 30. It's King David's mighty 30. And this is just like, I mean, this is kind of the gladiator type stuff here, okay? And, and what this chapter is all about is these 30 guys that have been around him and with him in battle, his closest men. 
David was the uh, leader of an entire army, but these were the mightiest of the mighty men. And maybe you've heard some of the stories from these mighty men. They talked about, in part of the chapter, about this guy named Benaiah. Benaiah was his, his bodyguard, and he killed a lion. He chased a lion. And the lion went into a pit on a snowy day, and Benaiah, he jumped in, and he fought the lion. That's the kind of manly man we're talking about here. And he killed giants and other warriors. Then there's this Abshai, and there's a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. But Abishai, he killed 300 warrior enemies with a spear in one battle. 300 warriors, other warriors, in one battle with a spear. So he begins to talk about these 30 that are around him. And then he gets to this, the mighty three. David had three guys that were like the closest of close guys. And you'll see why here. Check out the, the passage in 2 Samuel. These are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jash, Jash Obim. And you can take any of these names to name your kids if you want. Uh, Jash Obim, the Hakmonite, who was leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ohai. Once Eleazar and David stood together, see this scene in your mind, once stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. The rest of the army took off and fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. And the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. The whole army takes off, except for David and Eleazar, and they are fighting the enemy. And who is this enemy they keep talking about? The Philistines. Now, to understand, you remember this Goliath guy? Remember that story, David and Goliath? He was a Philistine, like the mortal enemy of God. This other people, or this, the Philistines, they served other gods. They, they made fun of the, the true and mighty God. The Philistines were like the arch enemy of evil for, for God's people. Next in rank was Shema, son of Aji from Harar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field of lentils. The Israel Israelite army fled, but Shema held his ground in the middle of the field, and he beat back the evil army, the Philistines. So the Lord brought a great victory. So here are these three guys. These, the, he had this 30 that were super close to him, but then there was these three that were his right-hand guys in battle that were brave and had all amazing accomplishments, and they fought amazing battles together as men. And as I thought about this scene, this is exactly who we want to be as a, as a community of believers. Our vision and our hope as a church is that we want people to reimagine life with Jesus, to see life change happen because of the love of Jesus Christ in our life. One of the things we want to value as a people, we value as a church, is that we want to see community rebuilt. We think that in a lot of places that community is broken. There's mistrust. There is this kind of attitude that's out there. It's just pushing people away, not bringing people closer together. And community happens when you live life together. And we want to see community rebuilt. So one of the things, the ways that can happen. Last week, we were in family worship, and it was a great Sunday together, amazing Sunday. 
And one of the things I showed you last week is this thing called the Jahari window, okay? Now, I'm not going to go really into depth into it, but I just want to remind you of it. And it's super important for what we're talking about here. Jahari window is this guy named Joe and this other guy named Harry. They came together and they made this thing. It's used in psychology. Different squares you can see on the top, known to self, the things you know about yourself, and the things not known to self, the things that you don't know or you don't see. The other side is known to others, people, other people, what they see and what they know about you. And then in the bottom is what people don't know about you. And so when you combine those two and you make the graph, there's different parts that, that we see here. First, the things that you know about me and the things that I know about me are the things that I live out in front of everybody. This is the public life. Then on the other side, the things that are not known to me, but everybody else can see. Okay, remember we talked about Michelle had something in her teeth. Have you ever had that moment before? You're like, everyone sees it except for you, okay? We all have those things. We all have blind spots in our life that even at the best of us who are the most self-aware people, there are still things that we don't see because we're just not aware of everything. There are blind spots. And then here's this other one, this known to self. Like, I know about these things, but, but others don't because I'm masking them. There are some hidden things in our lives that we mask and we, we don't want anybody to know about. So what does it mean to live in this community, to reimagine and rebuild community? It means taking masks off. It means allowing and giving permission to others so that they can speak love and show us some blind spots in our own life. And you have to give permission to people for you to actually see those things. Or if not, you just don't judge me. It's about love and community. It's about helping and, and, and helping to grow in our, in our faith. And so that's what community is all about. That's what David did. He allowed these people into the inner circle of your life. So what are we fighting for? That's the question of the series. What are we fighting for? We're fighting for each other. You're not just fighting for yourself. You are fighting for each other. And that's what God's called us to be. That's who God's called us to be in this world. And so the action step with this, for us, we believe that you fight for each other, you live life together, you do that best in a life group, where it's not just, I'm going to guess 200 people in a room right now, it's 12 people. It's getting to really know someone where you feel comfortable taking the mask off and to fight for someone in prayer, like we talked about, through God's word, through, through extraordinary things even. There is a story in 2 Samuel 23, this is my favorite part of the, of the, of the chapter, Remember those three guys? David is about to die. He is, he is getting close to the end of his life. And he goes into this cave. And suddenly, you know, remember the Philistines, the bad guys, the evil ones that represent darkness? They have taken over the area. And they actually have taken over his hometown of Bethlehem. And they're just a little ways away from there. And David, he's talking about, uh, you know, his, his men. But he's also thinking about, man, I, I wish that I could go back to when I was a kid. I wish that I could have a drink from the fountain, from the, the, the pool, from the, the well in Bethlehem. And he really is kind of reminiscing. But those three men, you know what they do? They hear that and they go, we're going to get it. They bust into the town of Bethlehem. They break the enemy lines to get to the well and to get a glass of water. And they bring it back to David. That's some kind of loyalty. That is some kind of bond that's there. And David is so moved 
in this moment. He's so moved, you can just see it. I mean, you just feel it in his voice. And his, it, you, you got this? And he, I am not worthy to drink of this water. And he pours it out. Now, first thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. It's like a, an offering to God that he poured it out. And like, we have such a bond because we've done battle together. We've done life together. And you were willing to do this for me? But then there's other part of it, like, you poured out the water, you're supposed to drink the water. I mean, he went, but this is an amazing moment where they shared this together. We love and care for you so much that we're willing to go that far for you. And that's what God's called us to be together. Now, there's this thing that I've, I'm, I'm starting, and I'm calling, I started it with, with uh, guys first. And girls, if you're, you're jealous enough, maybe you'll start something of your own, and maybe you can just jump in. On your uh, seats or below your, your, uh, your chairs, about every other chair, there's a piece of paper. And uh, on it, it says, HFC Fight Clubs. HFC Fight Clubs. And uh, it talks a little bit about what uh, we're going for here. We are starting these, these groups. They're small groups. They're groups of four. David, three guys. Okay. Are you with me? And these fight clubs are meant to be the inner circle of our lives. And every single one of us needs this kind of inner circle that can ask the tough questions, that can point out blind spots. And what God has called us to do is to, as iron sharpens iron, so does another person help another grow. And so you can read all about this. And essentially what I'm calling out is this. I'm calling out leaders to say, I want to lead a fight club. Now, Brad Pitt will not be there, ladies, uh, if you're familiar with the movie. But what this is about, men fighting for each other, praying for each other, asking tough questions, strategizing with each other, sometimes confessing to one another. It's living life together in in inner circles. It talks about that. If you're interested in that, text me. Make the call. Let me know that you'd like to do that. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is to, to live alone. I was talking to a friend, and, and he went through a major, major life struggle. And at one time, he had an amazing accountability group, but he found himself slowly drifting out of that group, a, a fight club. But one thing led to another, and he was out. And when he hit the crisis moment of his life, that was when he was, he said this to me, if I would have still been in that group, that would have never happened fighting for each other. Now, you can ponder that, you can think about that, you can pray about that, but I I just encourage you to to do it um, because you need it. I need it. And I need people around you, me, just like David did. Now, in this uh, second Samuel chapter, he lists all these guys. It's like he reminisces and says, man, I remember this guy and this guy. And he's talking about the 30, these mighty 30 that were around him. And then he comes to the end of the list. And if you have your Bible open still, it's 2 Samuel 23. And at the end of the list, he lists this last guy. And it's a name that might sound familiar, of the mighty 30. It says this, 2 Samuel 23, 39. And then there was Uriah, the Hittite. There were 37 in all. Uriah. Where does that name? Where do I know that name? Where do I know that name? If you flip over a couple of chapters... 2 Samuel chapter 11, David has just become king. He is at home one night, and he looks out, into, and he's on a balcony. He looks out, and he sees a woman, Bathsheba, and she is bathing. 
And what does he do? Does he turn around or does he go inside and say, that, I, I don't need to, to, to look at that. I'll, you know, I could be t-. No. He looks at her. He invites her over. Oh, it's going to be innocent. It's not a big deal. She'll just come over. We'll talk about, you know, the Super Bowl uh, or something. It'll be fine. She comes over. And, of course, we know what happens next. They sleep together. But that's not just the only thing that happened. He finds out that she is married. And not only married, she is married to one of his mighty men, Uriah the Hittite. And when he finds this out, he, of course, what happens when you're in the middle of sin? He stresses out, what am I going to do? How am I going to fix this? Because then the next thing happens, she's pregnant. He calls Uriah in. Why don't you go home? Why don't you spend time with your wife? Wink, wink. Okay? But he won't do it. He sleeps outside because he's so loyal to David, the one that he had fought beside. And so what is David? He has no other choice. He sends Uriah back out, and he calls the army to come away from the front lines so Uriah will be by himself and will be killed. And David then takes Bathsheba to be his wife. Now, this whole situation, why did it happen? What was the start of this whole thing? If you go back to the very first verse of chapter chapter 11, before he goes outside, before he sees Bathsheba, before he invites her over, before she's pregnant, before he kills Uriah, one of his mighty men, what is the verse, verse one? Read it with me in your, in, your, in your mind. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, when they go off to battle with their men, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rebaiah. But David remained in Jerusalem. In the time when people are fighting together, when he sent his men off, he remained in isolation by himself. Because what happens? Isolation leads to temptation, and temptation leads to sin, and it ruined his life in a moment where he said, you know what, you, you guys battle. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my own thing. And isolation led to his downfall. So my call today to you, the call of God today is to fight for others. Fight for others. And they will fight for you. Because there's this reaction probably in your mind, well, nobody's fighting for me. Well, step up and fight for someone else. And I guarantee you, they will join you in the battle of life. Now, you could not have a a fight series without a Rocky clip, right? Got to show a Rocky clip at some points, maybe even every week, I don't know. Uh, but uh, Rocky uh, number two, uh, this is the end of the, the movie, and I don't know if you know this, but Rocky gets knocked down a lot uh, in these movies. He just gets walloped a lot. And uh, this is the end of the movie, and he and Apollo Creed are fighting, and they are both about to hit the mat. Check out this scene. All right, pretty loud, that's okay. You're with me. Now, something I never noticed about this scene is I was thinking about this week. What is everyone saying in the background? Because I've always just looked at Rocky. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. 
They're all screaming, they're yelling, they're cheering, they're hoping, get up. Now I know there's some here in this room today that spiritually you have gotten just clobbered by the enemy. And you have been on the ground for a while. And you've been on the mats. And there's a part of you that just says,